Welcome to Team Up, a podcast where we talk about team-based primary care in British Columbia. Hi, I'm Sarah Fletcher with the Innovation Support Unit. On May 20th, the Team Up, Team-Based Primary and Community Care in Action series, hosted a webinar focused on reflections from the field. For this webinar, we were joined by Erin Burkhoff, a nurse practitioner, Erin Miller, a clinical support coordinator for an urgent and primary care center, and Pamela Tour, a social worker, all who work in team-based care settings. They had a great discussion, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome to our ninth webinar in the Team Up Learning Series titled Reflections from the Field, Teams Get Real About Team-Based Care. My name is Kelly Giesbrecht. I'm a leader for primary and community care with the Health System Improvement Team at the BC Patient Safety and Quality Council. I'm joining today from my home office in Prince George, where I live, work, and play on the unceded traditional territory of the Clayton Tanay. I welcome you to take a moment to recognize the traditional territories where you're situated. So the Team Up Primary and Community Care in Action is a learning series developed collaboratively by uh, the BC Patient Safety and Quality Council and the UBC Innovation Support Unit, and it's delivered on behalf of Team-Based Care BC. Today's webinar is supported by colleagues from both the Council and the ISU, who you'll see moderating the chat and the Q&A. And my co-host today is Dr. Sean Ebert, clinical lead for primary and community care with the Council. As mentioned, we record these webinars so that others may enjoy them later. And our colleagues at the Innovation Support Unit turn these sessions into podcasts. I highly recommend taking time to listen to the podcast and related discussion for this and other uh, team up webinars, as you may pick up on something new. As of this morning, we had 253 people um, registered from a wide range of health organizations and roles supporting team-based care, which is fantastic. So we're very excited to have so many people interested in the conversations that we're having through this learning series. I'm just gonna quickly go over the agenda for today. The focus today is a reflective dialogue with our speakers, which is going to be the majority of our time. We will save a few minutes at the end for some question and answers. Before we get started uh, with our discussion, I just wanted to take a few seconds and invite you to pause and take a few deep breaths or even close your eyes if that's comfortable for you and to give yourself permission to let go of something, to come into this space, to this time that you've set aside to learn and listen and um, reflect on team-based care in BC. So let go of something that could be your to-do list, it could be your emails, it could be tension in your neck or your jaw or your shoulders. For me, I'm really feeling it in my neck today, so just trying to work that out. But I know we don't take enough time to pause in our days, so I wanted to provide you that opportunity to center yourself and come into this learning space. And now I would like to open our dialogue today, Reflections from the Field, Teams Get Real About Team-Based Care. Our speakers today are Aaron Barakoff, Aaron Miller, and Pamela Tor. I would like to invite our speakers to introduce themselves. I think I'll call on Aaron B, please. That's me. <laughs> so, hi everyone, my name is Erin Barakoff. I wear a few hats, but I'm here today as Primary Care Network nurse practitioner. So I'm a contracted nurse practitioner. I work with six fee-for-service GPs in a team-based care setting in Powell River, British Columbia. And I live, work, and play on the traditional uh, territories of the Coast Salish peoples and Klahaman Nation. And I'm excited to be here today. And I'll turn it over to 
the next person. Hi, everybody. I'm Erin Miller. I am the clinical support coordinator for the Urgent and Primary Care Center in Penticton, BC. I spent the last uh, six years working at the Martin Street Clinic, which is a mental health and substance use interprofessional care clinic, where we really take pride in wrapping the care around the patient. So I'm super excited for this conversation today. Thank you, Erin and Pam. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Pamela Tour, and I am a registered social worker working at the REACH Community Health Center, currently acting as the program development manager. For the past few years, I've been very fortunate to work in the primary medical care team here, and uh, I've now transitioned over into supporting some of our peer teams in terms of enacting upstream and social development of health-based programs. And I'm very honored to be speaking to you from the traditional ancestral and unceded Coast Salish territories this afternoon. Thank you, Pam. And Sean, over to you for an introduction as well, please. Yeah. Hi, good afternoon, Sean Ebert. As mentioned, I'm involved with the Primary Care with the Quality Council. I'm a rural physician and currently up in Vanderhoof, Seikus territory, where I've been associated the last 23 years. And yeah, I'm very excited to hear this conversation. Thank you, Sean, and thank you for co-hosting with me today. We have a few guiding questions to start the discussion off, but we really just want this to be a conversation and to be thought-provoking and to learn about your experiences. So I thought I would just open it up. Our first question to get things started is, what are your new or emergent learnings from being part of an interprofessional team? And I'm just wondering who would like to kick off our chat today. I'll go first. Thanks, Erin. So I've been working in a team-based care setting for a while, actually. So I wouldn't say I have new or emerging learnings. I have been working in my setting for about five years. And we're, you would say, the team is early adopters of team-based care. And maybe started a little bit prior to the PCN and patient medical home really becoming evident in British Columbia. And I, like I said, I work with six fee-for-service GPs. And I think one of the the most important learnings that I've had throughout the years is that effective communication is important for sustainable and satisfactory, some patient satisfaction and provider satisfaction, team-based care. Thanks, Erin. Erin M or Pam, anything to add to that? What were your sort of newer emergent learnings? I am uh, in the same boat as the other Erin. I've worked in uh, team-based care for 11 years, first in Ontario before I moved here, and then um, in the startup of the Martin Street Clinic. So I don't have any super new or emergent. We have just recently collaborated and moved the Martin Street Clinic into the Urgent and Primary Care Center. So we're busy making a new team. And so what I'm learning from that is that we've gained a whole bunch of roles that we didn't have before. We have RNs in there now, which we never had before. And the value of an RN is huge, huge. I'm learning. That would be my favorite part. I guess similar to the other two errands, I also don't feel that I have any kind of new thoughts to add because I've been fortunate enough to be part of an interdisciplinary team for at least five years now. I think one of the things that just consistently surprises me is that as you bring on different uh, professionals into the team, it can really shift your perspective and it brings almost like a breath of fresh air, but it really, I feel that it challenges, hopefully, existing providers to reframe their thinking and their practice. Just for some context, we, we have a very huge and varied interdisciplinary team here at REACH. GPs, NPs, LPNs, RNs, social workers, counselors, and recently as part of our expansion in our allied team, for example, 
example, we brought on board a rec therapist, and it was mostly to help out with some of our outreach-related stuff. But yeah, just bringing someone on who who has a different lens, I've noticed that he's even shifted my own interactions with patients, the, the kind of focus that they bring and, and their scope of practice in some ways always challenges me to look at my own practice, especially in that particular area. Yeah, I think having the breadth of an interprofessional team really is a strength when it comes to these kind of conversations and stepping in. Yeah. I don't know if it's in a, a new or emergent learning, but it's definitely a learning that I find consistent as we expand. Thank you. I do find that interesting when we were coming up with these questions and where that takes the answers and what we learn about the landscape of team-based care, something that has existed for a long time, but maybe has a renewed, I don't want to say push, but just maybe a renewed context, maybe renewed support or different kinds of support within the province. So I'm just wondering, leading into our second question, from your perspective, how has the shift to team-based care impacted patient care, but maybe it's not a shift to team-based care. Maybe it's a shift within team-based care. And how has that um, impacted patient care? I would say the shift in team-based care or to team-based care, if the team is a high-functioning, cohesive team, has really benefited patient care. I think that if the team is not high-functioning, then it can be a bit of a barrier to patient care. I think one of the the most important things that we've learned is that as a clinic, to shift yourself from being provider-focused as an MOA, and usually you're focused on one person, but the focus turns to the other side of the desk, and really you're serving that client that's coming through as one behind the scenes. So we have outreach services as our longitudinal portion and walk-in as our after hours. And we had a really great example the other day of a patient who was longitudinal, came in just for a tooth pain, and we ended up getting him connected with OAT services, with antipsychotic injections and some family counseling as well with social work. So seeing that is really amazing when people come in so broken and that you can help the patient, not just the patient, but also the mother, brother, or sister that brought them in at the end of their rope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think generally I do agree with Erin B as well that team-based care definitely improves the patient experience. I'm mindful of Erin's other comment as well, that good communication, and that's, I think I saw a little comment pop up in the chat, is really key because if you're not strong in the communication that you have and strong in the workflows as a team, even at its own ba- at its basis level, then that really impacts patient experience and it can get confusing as teams expand. So for example, at REACH, in the primary medical care clinic, they recently, just due to the number of providers and in order to encourage attachment to a smaller group of providers, shifted to a pod model where there are there is a set of GPs and NPs, MOAs, et cetera, supporting groups of patients and based on the MRPs that they're attached to. And it really took a lot of planning as a whole entire team and a lot of patient education as well. I think as much as team-based care is something that's new and exciting for us, it's also, it'll take some education and some supporting patients in recognizing that they may be interacting um, with their healthcare services in new ways. I think that even sometimes the feeling, it, it has been a kind of very linear experience for most patients. Like here you are, this is the primary medical care provider you're seeing, they're going to answer your questions, give you what you need, and off you go. And I found that in our teams, allowing someone the autonomy to say, what is your, what is the issue that's happening with you today? And who best serves you? I know personally, I get, I used to get a lot of questions. What is a social worker? What do you do? And a lot of the historical things that come around that. Yeah, patient care is impacted in a good way, but it's supporting them through that process as well, because it's a transition to think of your healthcare as a team, as opposed to the one person that you've developed a trust in long standing relationship with. 
I'd like to pick up on that, Pam, from the other panelists too. Have you noticed that for patients, that this is a switch for them? Like we talk about the switch for people who are providing healthcare services. Well, what is, have you noticed what that experience is for the patients as well in terms of learning about what is team-based care for them? I think when, so like in our clinic, initially when I first started in the clinic, I was at that time... I believe I was the only NP providing primary care in Powell River. And so there was a lot of communication and a lot of education for patients when they would be booked with me because we did we do share share patients in the sense that if their provider who their MRP is is unable to see them or talk to them that day, if there's capacity in somebody else's day, then they'll book the patient with someone else. And there was a lot of education in what is an NP and what why am I seeing you and what do you do? And so similarly to Pamela, there was a lot of yeah, upfront education in, provi- like in providing patients with the information. And over the years, patients have a full understanding of what that looks like. And, and the fact that we all work together as a team to provide care to the whole group of patients, and they now understand that the team is working together to benefit their care. Thanks, Aaron. And I see, thanks, Charles. Um, I see you in the chat. Can we hear from Sean as well? And, and I was on board with that too. Just Sean, I'm just interested to hear about um, your experience, team-based care and, and that patient. Yeah, thank you, I've been trying to unmute at the strategic, I've been trying to unmute at the strategic time. You guys are so enthusiastic. This is awesome. A few points come to mind and I was really interested in understanding a little bit more, Aaron, B, about your comment on high functioning, because I totally agree with that component of team and that shift to patient-centered, which we all hear about. And again, as Pam was talking about different models to enable this, like their pod model. And I'm really curious with you guys, again, this takes time. So I'd be very curious as to how long it took and what were those factors that really allowed not only the team to coalesce and evolve, and by that, how do you protect time? How do you nurture the team development? Because as individual practitioners, especially, again, you're in a fee-for-service environment, Aaron B., that whole force and, and always like we got to put people through and meet the demand, but trying to rethink how to work together. I think as much as you have to train patients, there's a big learning component for the team members. And I'd be really curious to get your guys' perspective on what were those key pieces that allowed that development of the team and that shift in the way we approach care along with that patient education piece. So from my perspective, the key things that allowed all our, our team to develop together was support from the divisions of family practice and the PSP program, the, the patient provider support program. Is that what it is? Anyway, practice support. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. So the key was really having a lot of engagement with divisions and PSP and very regular meetings and extremely, and the the meetings were very structured and facilitated in, in to bring out all of the concerns and or the wins, the barriers, the things that were working, the things that weren't working. And within those meetings, we would leave with action plans and and then incorporated that into the practice going forward and then there was follow-up and so there was extremely consistent time and for gps who are fee for service their time was was compensated through the psp so that they allowed 
the GPs to take some time away from practice to, to fully be engaged in that process. Okay, thanks. Yeah, and again, I'd be interested, Pam, a little bit more on this model that you described, and maybe there's been shifts in that approach because, again, just because you have labels and you have sometimes even co-locate doesn't always translate into getting that patient-centered result. So I'd be curious on your pod model, Mitmore, and, and, and other models you've experienced. Yeah, thank you for that, Sean. For the pod model, I think just to allow a little bit more context of the situation in which we're situated here at REACH is that we are not in a fee-for-service model, at least not in the primary medical care practice. It operates outside of that, and REACH has been in existence for 50 years. A great deal amount of time to allow for teams to evolve in different ways than might be occurring within other parts of our healthcare system. But I definitely would echo Aaron's kind of comments around communication and really carving out that team. The environments to allow teams to coalesce and, and work through those team-based issues and providing that space. I'm sure there's a couple of my colleagues on here today, so if I'm, I'm really grossly misrepresenting something yell at me in the chat, but all of our teams and when it all like we have a pharmacy, a dental clinic, an urgent care center, the primary medical practice, and then a whole bunch of allied providers all working concurrently, all of the teams usually have a dedicated meeting time. The primary medical team meets at least once a week, uh, different focuses, whether they be operational, more HR subcommittees within the pods. This pod sub teams will meet at least once a month to probably work through some of those kinks operational issues in the context of the changing environments. Morning huddles every single morning so that those who are there on site and now also with those off site are able to connect and really plan and map out those kind of days, especially when you're working even within I understand high volume environments for people having those touch points of dedicated kind of carved out and concrete time where it it is less about the service that you're providing more about how do we really do this as a team and being able to do almost like micro pivots during the course of your day I find that that's something that we've gone through and similar to what Aaron mentioned I do believe that the teams have taken advantage of PSP and other support programs as well and even at a micro level so one of the elements that we'd implemented similar to Aaron's previously was a, a drop-in clinic and so that drop-in portion was designed because um, a focus of our of the practice here is to ensure access for those who may have higher barriers, either health or social, to access good care. And we actually had taken a small segment of the teams and done like a bit of a PDSA process with the medical director at the time and having a few members there to really look at it. So I think it is that consistent engagement. And I would say being as diverse in that consistent communication and engagement, the workflow you know, separating the fact that the workflow will only ever impact one person because it really does become uh, team decisions and team workflows, no matter if you are the person picking up the phone or supporting with the rooms or whatever the case may be. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's um, so helpful, I think, to put all this in context and into a real scenario and what's happening on the ground. I wanted to pick up on, on the communication piece because we have quite a few questions that have come in through the Q&A about communication and now seems like the time because I think you probably already touched on quite a, a few aspects of what does effective communication look like, but the sort of the rolled up question from, from a few that have come through the Q&A is what does effective communication look like? What specific technical barriers do you face? 
enabling good communication? And do you have recommendations for collaboration tools to support effective communication? So anything in addition to an EMR. I'm actually going to ask Aaron Miller if, if, because I think you're in a unique position as a clinic support coordinator to, to answer um, some of these questions. So I'd like to throw that over to you. Thanks. We, at the clinic um, that I work at, it, it is urgent and primary care center, but the longitudinal parchin is a fee-for-service clinic that's running within the UPCC. So we do our hybrid and we do have the fee-for-service running during the day and then the after hours is walk-in service. So we have RNs that span 12-hour shifts and then also span just the urgent care portion. So communication is hard. People are working all different shifts. MOAs work eight hours. Doctors work sometimes three. It's, it's really hard to get together. So we do a lot of monthly nuts and bolts check-ins and then team check-ins, exactly what Pam was talking about. And then we also have the board in a common room where if you feel like it's something we should bring up at Next Nuts and Bolts or to a pod that we can start the conversation before we bring it to the larger group. And we find that works really well. It's actually the second clinic I've worked that, that way through. Thanks, Erin. Erin B or Pam or Sean. Tips for effective communication, recommendations on collaboration tools. So in our setting, our team is a bit smaller. So we have, at this point, we have bi-weekly Zoom meetings that, and we have protected time in the evenings every two weeks that we review our action items from the time before. And we, re we have an, a standing agenda that we, we go through for the clinic and, and it's attended by our lead MOA as well. MOAs are a super important part of the team, absolutely. Yeah, so that's the group that's there. I think that one of the key pieces when it becomes like a, a bigger conversation is having it facilitated by divisions or PSP. And then like technically wise, we just use email if there's things that we want to discuss like between our team meetings. So nothing super exciting <laughs> as far as technology-wise. Um, Zoom and email. That's A-OK. -okay. <laughs> Doesn't need to be complicated to be effective. I don't think of anything more mind-blowing technical to add to that. <laughs> the team uses WhatsApp in terms of the daily huddles, even though I don't work with them day-to-day, -day, they've got, there'll be a list of saying, who's the doc of the day, who's the nurse of the day, what's the counseling capacity and, and a brief message out to everyone who's on that day. And you can check in and just know what's on deck or any concerns. And then we do have meetings by Telus Business Connect for those who are offsite. Yeah. If there is anything great out there, I'm, I'm sure that there's, we'd love to hear about it as well. That would yeah. solve all of our problems. <laughs> yeah, if, if folks listening wanted to chime in the things that have worked well for them in the chat, we happily um, capture that information. Uh, as well. I don't know, Sean, was there anything that you wanted to, to add to that conversation? I mean, I really love what I'm hearing about. The bottom line is it has to be structured. It has to be systematic. And the technology is less important than the process. I think I've been through, I can't even count how many platforms which had varying degrees of success. In the end, it's whatever works for the group. But I love the idea of the of just having it regularly enough to be useful and functional, but having that structure to manage information in detail so that you're not waiting to the next monthly meeting till something happens. I love Pam's comment about pivoting in the day. And to get to that level where you can communicate and actually make on-the-fly changes speaks to the fact you've got a good, robust system of communication and process in place. And I think that's probably what we all want to achieve. 
because I think we all understand how it feels to work at the large institutional levels where six months later, you're still asking the same question. Hey, are we going to actually deal with this or that? So I think that flexibility, that nimbleness is key because as practitioners and providers, and we all want to have that feeling of empowerment and getting things going and moving and having that flexibility. So I love what I'm hearing. Fantastic. Thank you. So I'm just thinking about like the third question that we had to prepare for this discussion. And I'm wondering, and I think you've alluded to, to some of what you would impart on to people who are also undertaking team-based care, but what advice would you give to other teams and individuals embarking on the journey of team-based care? I'll go first again. So like I have mentioned a few things already about communicate expectations of roles, team meetings regularly, use PSP. There's a team-based care QI. That's really great. But the biggest thing I think that is important for some, maybe all settings, is having a practice-level agreement. And so a practice-level agreement just defines the roles and responsibilities of, of all the team members, relationships between providers and agency. If this is a contract, contract, Providers working together, but it outlines the services that each person is obligated to to do. It provides a voice for um, everybody at the table as far as scheduling, how overhead is managed, panel size. So I think that having a really robust practice level agreement is really important in a setting, especially a patient medical home setting, but also I think other settings as well. Thanks, Erin Miller or Pam. We have actually gone out of the box and actually sat in on each other's roles. We find that it helps to really understand. Nurses have sat at the front desk. Social workers have gone on road trips with outreach workers to see where they go, what they do in a day and what it looks like. And I think that really helps you see from a really broken down to the base way how we can help these people if it's just basic needs like socks and things like that that they're delivering and then when they come into the clinic and you hey that guy didn't have a place to live and some socks we can help that way too so I think just really getting to know what your peers do is is a huge part of it thanks Erin I would definitely have to agree. This probably comes more from the allied health perspective as well about knowing your peers knowing their scopes but I think like really digging down I I feel that it getting down into those shared values as well. What is What does your team stand for in terms of patient care and, and making sure to set those expectations that we do operate within a, a team-based care environment and, and what that means for your organization or your unit or whatever the case may be. I can, this is probably bleeding into the other question, Kelly, but one of the, the most rewarding experiences I've had during the pandemic was an opportunity to sit down with the medical team and to have people express why are they here and, and what brings them the, to this work. And there was an immense sense of pride and connection to the team. And I think that comes from having a strong set of shared values and care. And sometimes for me, in my experiences working with different providers, there's there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be disagreements in care plans or what should be priorities or if you've worked in a hospital setting, who should or should not be discharged and for what reason or not what reason into what facility, community, etc. And at that point in time, I always lean back on the fact that I trust that my teammates are here for the, the best interest of this person and, and use that to keep myself open to these challenges and those perspectives. I know we've spoken in a very probably optimistic way about team-based care and there's definitely challenges. I like to, the word 
that I use for the team here is like spirited debate. Our meetings are usually filled with spirited debate. And then I think that speaks to people's passion. But yeah, having a perspective where you're able to harness that passion and it doesn't become competitive sometimes. Mm-hmm. Very valid point. I wonder, Sean, you know, is there anything from this conversation that's resonating for you or you'd like to pick up on? Yeah, there's a few things, but a great conversation. And when the, the thought of high-functioning teams, I'm fairly passionate about, and there's some core elements to high-functioning teams that are already just reflected in the conversation. And I think the whole idea of a really sound agreement speaks to reflecting the purpose and principles that you need to have. And the nice thing about that is that when things do go a little bit spirited, if you will, you can refer back to your agreements and the reflection of your purposes. And then that helps to to bring people back together. That way you don't stifle that good dynamic conversation, but it gives you a, a a bit of a framework to work within. And again, I heard trust. I heard relationship. These are so critical and they don't happen quickly. And that's always the challenge. We want to get this stuff out the door right now, but you can't jump over those steps of developing relationship and establishing trust. I love the idea. It was mentioned shadowing in the chat or process mapping. I can't believe how many times I've learned things by doing a process map for service delivery that I had no clue that my teammates we're having to put up with and all I do is one little thing in the way I worked. And again, journey mapping is the same kind of rich information that we then can incorporate into our service models. So uh, again, the high team elements we talked about and that um, protected time and using things like good agreements and structures to, to empower and, and move things along. Excellent, excellent conversation. I have two other thoughts when you start talking about high-functioning teams. So I think one of the significant or important piece of a high-functioning team is, is establishing psychological safety in that team. So psychological safety, I just was looking up the definition because that's how I roll. But it's being able to show and employ oneself without fear of negative consequences of self-image status. Um, or career. So being able to, to have those spirited debates or que- and, and discussions, but with bumpers and with safety and doing that in the team. And then um, my second thought is that when it comes to the practice agreements, I think it's something that needs to be reviewed often as well. So those are a couple of things that I had. The agreements are living documents. They're not static. Yeah, constant attention. I'm just looking at some of the questions that are rolling in. And I think this plays into where we wanted to go with our quote unquote bonus question. How does working from home or virtually change building a team, particularly in the context in which we find ourselves with the pandemic? And we can come back to that too, if you want. <laughs> it does change the dynamic, but I guess there are different configurations of teams. Not everybody's co-located. So, you know, how does that kind of change building a team? I was going to say, we have always worked as almost like a satellite to the mental health center. And so we've always dealt with transferring calls, trying to get people to come down to our center to connect in. So we have that one-stop shop kind of thing happening. And I think it's, COVID has just added another layer of complication to that. But the beauty is we have technology like Zoom now that we've learned to use in a way that we never thought we would, I think, in the past. And so being able to have a conference with your social worker and your case manager at the same time, I think, is a huge value for the patient. Absolutely. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> sort of any, oh, anything else to add to the <laughs> virtual context of working? 
Uh, well, yeah, I was just going to say the technique that we've used to make it work is being flexible with your work setting. So being able to work from home or if providers are able to work from home, it, it um, has allowed us to be able to have the space in the office for patients to be seen and not go over our allotted amount of people per square footage in the building. I think flexibility mm-hmm. is a technique. We're a little bit the opposite here, where we, it definitely achieves the same result as Aaron, but instead of being flexible, we're quite structured in who is on-site and who is off-site at any given point in time. So rotating people out in shifts, again, using technology for meetings. And I, I'm just circling it also back to, I think, the, the patient experience of teams. Technology has opened a lot of doors for some aspects of our patient population and closed some for others, I think. I don't know if this is probably what a lot of people are thinking is that thinking forward, it'll be a conversation among the teams as well as we shift into different phases of this response about what do you keep, what do you, what might not be as helpful, and how do you move forward to keep some of those benefits that we've discovered from technology? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate the acknowledgement that it opens doors for some and closes doors for others, how we're operating um, right now. I just, I noticed there was a, a, a question in the chat about how do you get buy-in for taking the time to create meaningful team agreements and build psychological safety. And I just wanted to note that we our last webinar in April was all about psychological safety. So I would encourage folks to go to the team-based care website and listen to the recording of that webinar, but also to go um, and access the podcast through the ISU as well, um, the podcast of the actual webinar, but then also the reflection discussion between, I think it was Sean, Morgan, Sarah, and April. I think that'll be really helpful information to get you started and thinking about that. But if, if there are uh, folks on the panel today that would like to provide some insight uh, on that question, I'd welcome that as well. I think I would give a little bit of advice and just say, be gentle with yourself when you're new to this. It's not going to work perfect the first time. And we went back and we did case scenarios and saw like, how can we better wrap the care around this person? What could we have done so that we can learn for the next time? And it seems like all butterflies and rainbows when we talk about it now a bunch of years in, but it wasn't always that way. And you have to earn that trust with your coworkers that you're able to say no really firm and tell them off in one breath. And then the next breath go, okay, let's go do this and, and help the patient. So. Thanks, Erin. So we have about five minutes left. So I thought what we could do is maybe expand on our this COVID context just for a couple of minutes if anybody um, wanted to elaborate on what we've already talked about. So one of our, our questions was, how are you doing this in the context of COVID uh, in virtual and distributed teams? And so we alluded that to that a little bit with some of our conversation already, but is there anything that you'd like to add? Maybe there's a technique to use to make it work well moving forward? Oh, thank you, Katie, for putting links little, in the chat. Sorry, Sean. Go ahead. No, I'll add a little comment to that because it's overnight we changed the way we were doing business. And I've, I've done virtual care now for over a decade. I was a bit of an early adopter and used multiple platforms. And it amazed me that despite a lot of hard work and energy, it took it took a pandemic to actually make a shift. And I think what will happen is we'll find that sweet spot where we are creating enough of an opportunity for in-person um, relationship, not only with teammates, but with patients, but also leveraging the advantages, as it was as commented earlier, uh, of using virtual technologies. And, and I think we're just in that phase now of grappling with what is that balance? 
And it's not going to be the same all the time. There'll be no recipe. It'll be contextual, and it'll probably ebb and flow. But I think we'll all get better at appreciating what are those key components of creating a relationship and how much in person, what can we do with technology. And I think we'll just organically figure that out a little bit as we go. The key is to be able to recognize the need for both and and the pitfalls and uh, limitations of both. Great. Thank you. We only have about three minutes left. So what I'd like to do is to invite you, our panelists, and my co-host, Sean, if you have any sort of closing remarks that you'd like to make or just some observations from the discussion or things that maybe you want to leave um, us and and our audience thinking about uh, moving forward. I think that when you're starting out with a, with a team and in team-based care, it's really important to be very clear about what your expectations are in that team, not be fearful to speak your truth. And I think that those are really important just to get to, to start the team process going forward communication. Thanks, Erin. I see a comment in the chat around, I guess, other providers coming into primary care. Mm-hmm. And I would, I always say this and we always bring it back to to the patients and what really is the best kind of care for them and what kind of supports do they need like I'm very excited to see OTs and more social workers dietitians etc coming into primary care because that true to me it truly is this is what healthcare is this is not just simply medical care medical care for the people that we're supporting but this is healthcare in a way that is comprehensive and meeting their needs and I know that it can be especially when we're, we're sitting in this is a social work perspective you're upsetting a lot of different checks and balances that have been there for a long time and it can be uncomfortable have those uncomfortable conversations because I think the longer that it sits in silence or the longer you feel that something is out of sorts especially when it comes to patient care that that creates an environment that isn't healthy and positive for the team. And I almost see it as a mirroring journey of as we rethink what patient care is in terms of primary care and and what it means to support someone holistically, that's the same attitude, hopefully, that we come to our teams and recognizing the importance of all parts of all parts of that interprofessional interdisciplinary team. So thank you, Pam. Karen or Sean, any closing remarks before we kind of snuck in there with my pearls before about the the be gentle part. I think it's really important because it's hard. It's a hard thing to do when you've worked so singular for so long. It, it takes time. It's not perfect. It's going to take a while. And we actually did a lot of like team building outside of the work. So like we would go out for dinner one night or we did bonfires on the beach just to build our relationship so that the patient sees that too. Thank you. Yeah, I totally agree. Not much to add. Brilliant comments. And we need to challenge the process. And and there's no easy way through this. We know, all of us collectively, that we can do a lot more than we um, would otherwise do as individuals. We need to really encourage leadership to look at our system. We need to try to suspend their fear and their cynicism and have an open heart and mind and will to this work. And, And I think if we do that from the patient front, from those are providing frontline care, we'll get to the right endpoint. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I think we'll close our conversation on that note. Thank you, um, 
everybody for joining us today. Thank you so much for our panelists today. I've really enjoyed getting to know you through the planning process for this webinar. And I really hope our paths cross again. Thank you, Sean, for co-hosting today and bringing your perspective. This has just been uh, such a rich discussion. And I do think as I'm looking in the chat that people are really um, thankful for you sharing your experience and your recommendations and your tips and tricks and just bringing your insights to this conversation. These webinars are recorded. So that recording will be up on the Team Based Care website shortly. We will be taking a break over the summer months, so we won't be having any webinars July and August, but please join us for the last webinar of this season of Team Up where we're going to learn more about evaluating team-based care. This is one of the top five topics you let us know you wanted to hear more about over the last few months. So we're excited to have our colleagues from the Innovation Support Unit leads this session and talk about some of the dimensions of the team framework. So again, thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us today. Be well, and we'll see you next time. Have a great rest of the day. Mm -hmm.